But this morning, um, as you see on the screen, we're going to be talking about the two revelations. Uh, not the book of Revelations or anything to do with that, so that we're not misunderstood. But the idea of revelation being how God reveals himself. The two ways that we see through scripture of how God is revealed to mankind. And so we're going to be in Psalms 19, verses 1 through 14. If you want to uh, turn there and stand with me, we're going to read it aloud together. And it says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out our speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a t set a tent for the sun, which comes out of the bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure in making wise the simple. The perspects, uh, the perspects of the Lord are right, or uh, right, rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold or sweeter, also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them and the servants warned, in keeping them there is a great reward. But who can discern his errors, declares me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Dear God, as we read your word, impact it upon our lives now so that we be more transformed and be renewed to who you are calling us to be each and every day. God, I pray this morning as we're going to look at this idea of the two revelations that you have given mankind. God, I pray that this spurs us up and this encourages us and this calls us and, and just causes something inside of us that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Father, because this is such a wonderful truth but such a hard truth to handle. So God, be with us now as we open up your word and we acknowledge your truth and your son's in perfect and holy name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning as we read this scripture aloud, we're going to come back to it in just a moment. Um, we're going to be talking about this idea of the two revelations. And what I mean by that is a general and special revelation. And I'm going to define both of those. The general revelation is the fact that God reveals himself through his creation. That God reveals who he is through the things that he has created. Through reasoning, through philosophy, through these things that God has revealed himself. Many of us would agree with this concept. Uh, many of you, I've spoken with you uh, individually, especially you men, and you tell me how if you go fishing or hunting and you find yourself in the woods by yourself, in that moment you can just feel God's presence. 
This is the idea of general revelation, that God reveals that he is true and alive and a real thing by the things that he has created. The second is special revelation. Special revelation is that God reveals the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word and the proclamation of it. We're going to look at that in more detail later. And then we're going to also look at the two things that go along with these things is the issue with general revelation and then our responsibility as believers. And this last question is our responsibility as believers is something that we should ask ourselves whenever we open up God's word. Whenever we come to God's word or if it be in a preaching sermon or if it be in a Bible study or if it be in your house at the coffee table with a cup of coffee that every time God's word is open we should ask ourselves what is our responsibility today what is God trying to teach and to reveal to us but before I get into any of that in detail I want to read a letter to you this letter is from a guy named Justin Lauren now it's a really funny last name to have in my opinion but Justin Lauren uh, he's this guy. I received this letter when I went to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and just to kind of so you understand the background of this, the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting is something that happens every year. It's a uh, business meeting per se. And what happens is that the churches can send, I think it's two people that represents their church. And so what happens is we go, we represent our church. So when I was able to go, uh, if you realize it or not, as a church, you sent me to be a representative of Lighthouse Community Church in Vernon, Alabama. And the reason why I want to explain that is that I always had the opportunity randomly. I did not pay for it or anything like that. It just God worked it out for me. Uh, I was able to go to what was called an IMB dinner, which was International Mission Board uh, dinner where they fed us chicken and some cheesecake. But we got to listen to David Platt speak about the International Mission Board. And part of his speech was he gave this letter out. And the reason why I want to read this letter is that as a representative, this isn't a letter just for me to read. This is one for the entire church to hear. And I want to read it to you now. Hello, I am pumped to tell you about what God has led me to leave my current job as a mechanical engineer to proclaim his name in Southeast Asia. My main role will be traveling across the Southeast Asia, mapping the communities and sharing the gospel with people who have never heard about Christ and his finished work. I am beyond thankful for my youth pastor, college pastor, and pastor God has used to pour into me throughout my life. They taught me to every, uh, that every believer in Christ is to partake in our Lord's mission, which is to make disciples of all nations. And every church has a part to play in reaching every nation. I pray that you and your church can use where you live, work, and play to glorify God by making disciples. As for traveling overseas, I've heard one pastor say that missions is simple, that you either go down the well or you hold the rope for those that who do. Both will come back with scars. So I ask that you hold the rope being persistent in prayer, fasting, and other forms of support as God through us to make his name known. I cannot thank you enough for holding the rope as I and many others go down into the well. I am excited to see how God moves in Southeast Asia and would be happy to keep you informed. I would love to have you as a partner in the advancement of the king of our King's name among all nations and pray for you as he moves where you live, work and play. The reason why this letter is so important to me is one, the idea of Southeast Asia is one that hits pretty close to home for some of us, right? We've had one that's close to our church being mission, uh, missions close to that. But the reason why I want to leave this letter this morning 
is that I've been praying for the opportunity to do. And as I get into this topic this morning, it's just a perfect opening for us to understand why there is an importance in the difference of general and special revelation. Why is it important that we understand these two things and what it calls us to do? And what it calls us to do is exactly what Justin is doing in this letter, that he is committing his life to taking the gospel to people that have never heard about Jesus. And the reason why that is so important for us this morning is that we are called to do the same thing. And we're going to look at some ways that we are called to do this. But for us to understand this, I want to first look at general revelation by looking at Psalms 19, 1 through 6. And I'm going to read this. And as I read this, I'll pause and I'm going to explain it. And then I'll move on to the next. I'm not going to go in detail, uh, extreme detail. But what we see in Psalms 19, 1 through 6 is this idea of God's general revelation, that God God reveals himself through his creation. And we see this idea here as you're going to see that in verse 2 it says day to day pulls out speech. We know that uh, when you wake up in the morning, the sun doesn't scream to you, wake up. It doesn't talk to you. It doesn't declare who God is. But this is an example. This is, um, this is some form of literature that would explain God's creation speaking who he is. So let's look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night in the night reveals knowledge. Let's pause there. What we see first and foremost is that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Uh, it's this idea that the creation, that the earth itself, the sky, the everything that is in um, the atmosphere, all the stars, all the moon, all the sun, all of these things are declaring God's handiwork. And this is because when we read Genesis chapter 1, what we see is that God, what? That God spoke everything into being, that he created all things from nothing. So when we look into the world around us, as you, uh, like, look out this door right here. we got a bunch of windows in that door. We see the, the idea of sunlight coming through the windows. And if we walked outside, we would either see the, su the sun or we would see clouds. And when we look at that, what it does is that it declares God's handiwork, that God has created this then it goes on and it says in the day-to-day -day pulls out our speech that the creation of God though it's not physically or literally speaking to us that is pouring out that God is real that God exists that God is the creator of all things and the, the, the night does not literally reveal knowledge, but rather it's revealing who God is that God through his creations revealing himself to mankind this is obvious this is why when you go into, I hear stories of missionaries and they go into these third world countries in the middle of Africa or the rainforest and they get there and they find out that all of these people, they've never heard of Yahweh or Jesus or anything of that, but they already have four or five or six gods that they worship because in their worship of who they think is God. And so what we're seeing is that they see this through the creation. That's why you see that in historical, historical context and even today, people worship the sun god and the, the plant god and the earth god and the rain god and the god of fertility and the god of all these things is because when they look at the creation and they live in the life they live, that's revealed that God exists, that something bigger than themselves had to create the world. Even when you think of people that believe in uh, uh, the idea of evolution 
that even at the end of the idea of evolution, they would say that something had to start it from the beginning. They won't admit that it's a God. They won't accept that it's a God, but they admit that it took something to cause the Big Bang to happen. And so what we see in this is that God is revealing himself through his creation. Then it goes on in verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes on through all of the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So this idea that God speaks through his creation, that God reveals himself through his creation, goes into all individuals. This is not something that some people get and some people don't, that all people receive that God exists because of the creation of God. This goes through all men, all women, throughout the entire world, throughout all time. Then he goes on which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Just like that the sun, we all feel the heat of the sun, just, cause, just like the sun rises and sets, just like the sun is something we all see, we all see the glory of God through His creation. And we're going to, in a minute, we're going to look at the issue with general revelation and why this is such a problem and why there has to be more than just general revelation in the individual. But just to kind of give you a forefront and an understanding of what's going on is that general revelation is not good enough for someone to come to Christ in salvation. All it does is reveal that God exists, that God created the world. So to determine and to define general revelation one more time is that the knowledge about God and spiritual matters discovered through natural means, such as uh, the observation of nature, philosophy, and reasoning, that God reveals that he is real and exists, and he is who he says he is by his creation. But the issue, as we're going to look at later, is that this revelation of who God is does not cause one to come to Christ in salvation. So that gets us to the second point, which we find in 7 through 11, is the special revelation. Special revelation is the revealing of Christ in the work of Christ through the Word of God. The revelation, the special revelation, is this revelation that, law, that leads one to salvation in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of God. This is how he takes people that know that God exists, that know there must be a God, there must be a creator, there must be one that is greater than all else. And it takes them and they moves them into a place where they can understand what Christ has accomplished for them. Special revelation is something that is done through the word of God. If you would look with me in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. It's the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We first to see that the law of the Lord is perfect, that God's word is perfect. We're going to see multiple words. We're going to see law, testimony, commandments. Uh, we're going to see rules. We're going to see these different words, and they're all referring to the Word of God, that these things are the Word of God. So the Word of God, the law of God, is perfect, revealing the soul. That God's Word, what it does, is not only is it a special revelation to us, but it's a special revelation to us because it reveals what is going on in our heart and in our soul. What it does is it reveals our sin. It reveals our need for Christ. It reveals our need for someone greater than ourselves. 
Thus it is a testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. What it means in making wise the simple is what it does is it takes us as broken individuals, as ignorant individuals, as people that are caught up in their own sin, own lives, and it makes us wise in what is wise and what is greater than all else, and that is the wisdom of God. That is the Word of God. That is why reading God's Word is important because we take and we understand more of who God is, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, omnipotent God. And so therefore, the Word of God, not only does it reveal our sin, reveal our need for Christ, but in our salvation in Christ, it also makes us wise. Because we as individuals are simple compared to who God is. Verse 8, the perspects of God of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The God's word, God's commandment, God's truth is pure and it enlights the eyes that it leads to a, an honest and good fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So therefore, the, the understanding of who God is begins in understanding and causing the fear inside of us, which is really the gospel itself, that God is perfect and holy and all-powerful. And because He is perfect and holy, and because we are broken and sinful, we need Him to save us, that we cannot save ourselves. And that is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, is because for us to understand our need for God, we have to understand how broken and the separation of God causes God's wrath upon us. So therefore, we fear the Lord, we understand we need Him, we come to Christ as salvation and then as we talked about last week we were adopted into his family as we're adopted to his family we know what the wrath of God looks like but we know that we've been adopted and loved by him so therefore we no longer have to fear verse 10 more to be desired are all than the gold and even much more than fine gold sweeter than all the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb moreover by them is your servant warned in keeping them in the great reward this idea of gold and honey. Now, we all like gold, right? Especially probably you women, you probably like gold and white gold and silver and diamonds and things of that nature. But we all like gold because gold, what? It represents money, right? We all like to have money. So what he's talking about here, let's, let's, look, at, let's look past the theatrical aspects of gold and honey. Let's see what he's talking about here is the richness of this life and the, 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 the tastefulness, the, the glory of this life, the honeycomb, the sweetness, the things that we encounter, the, the things that are righteous, the things that will just bring us pleasure in this life, the, the things that are joyful in this life, the things that make us happy as individuals, that God's word is, should be and must be desired more than the gold and the honey of this life, more than the pleasures and the things of this life because it is what saves us is what reveals Christ to us. In verse 11, Moreover by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep me back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then I shall be blameless and innocent. A great transgression. What David is praying to God in the last part of this song is that God reveals himself to man and then he takes it through general revelation, then he takes and reveals himself in detail through man, through the law, the word of God. And in doing so, what it does is that it discerns the heart, it presents the heart, it causes us to recognize our need for him, our need for a savior. And so in this moment, it's almost a moment of like our salvation where he's saying, God, keep me from my sin, keep me from my presumptuous and my faults, 
keep me from these things, cause me to be innocent and hide my faults. This is exactly what we do when we pray to God for salvation. We come to Christ, we understand that He is the only thing that can save and redeem us. And so what we do is we're crying out that God would take and He would take and forget our sins and that He would be quit looking at our righteousness and then He would look at Christ's righteousness and that that's what He would see when He sees us. It's this picture that Christ on the cross took our righteousness, which is that of filthy rags. He took our righteousness. He laid it on his shoulders. He died. He buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered it all. And then now when God looks at us after we come to Christ in salvation, he can look at us and he don't see our righteous, our filthy rags anymore. But he sees Christ. He sees the, the, the perfect holiness, the, the, the sin-free life of Christ in us. So it's not a work of our own, but it's a work of God in our lives. So what we see in all of this, though, in 7 through 11, I went through 13, 7 through 13, is that this is referring to the special revelation. This is referring to God revealing himself to mankind. God presenting the gospel. God explaining who he is in detail so that they can be saved. General revelation is the idea that God reveals himself through creation. Special revelation is that God reveals how to be saved through Christ Jesus, through his word. Now, that leads to an issue and a solution. The issue is with general revelation. Why then do I look at it? Why is it important that we look at general revelation if there's an issue with it? And if you have your Bibles with you, you're more than welcome to turn with me to Romans 1, 18 through 21. Romans 1, 18 through 21. It's not on the screen, but it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, now catch this, ever since the creation of the world in, that, in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For all they, they know knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this idea here is the same principle found in Psalms 19 is that God reveals himself, general revelation, through his creation, through his work, through his handiwork, that God reveals that he is a true and living God. And in that, we also see through Romans, is that God writes the law in the hearts of man, that just as the Gentile had the written law of God, that God wrote, wrote the law on the, uh, just like the Jews had the written law, that God took and wrote the unwritten law on the hearts of the Gentiles, so that they now are without excuse, that through his creation, through the world that he made, that no one that has not come to Christ in salvation but never heard of Jesus, they are without fault. They were, or with, I mean, they are without excuse that they are at fault for their sin, that they are still unrighteous, that they have sinned against the heavenly and perfectly uh, God that we have. So the issue here is that general revelation is not enough. That just because someone, and I, I don't want to go to the extreme all the time of looking at uh, Africa or middle of China or uh, Pakistan or, or even places like that because it happens in the United States all, all the time. But just, just because someone has never heard the gospel. So take for me, for example, um, just follow along with me for a moment, is that 
imagine there's somebody in Portland, Oregon. That's a pretty uh, extreme state for now. So somebody in Portland, Oregon, and they have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have never heard the redeeming sacrifice that Christ made for humanity on the cross. And if they've never heard that, and they died tomorrow because that God has revealed himself through creation and has written his unwritten law on their hearts that they would die and go to hell. And this is a hard pill to swallow. This is a hard concept to understand because we want to say that it's not fair. We want to understand that it's not a loving God would not do this. But the reality is that they're still sinful and falling away from him. They're still chose to sin and turn away from him because he has revealed himself through creation. That if God reveals himself through general revelation, that is not enough through what we see in scripture to save the soul. For what has to save the soul is the special revelation of God. But the issue at hand, and I want to make this plain clear and I want it to be on our hearts this morning is that if someone never hears the gospel and they die they die and they go to hell forever and the reason why that is this letter is so important and that a man named Justin Lauren would commit his life to go into the unreached people church groups in southeast Asia is exactly that is that if those that never hear the name of Christ do not hear the name of Christ, they have no chance. That is why missions are so important. People balk at this idea. People don't want to agree with this because it's a hard pill to swallow. They want to look at it in a different way, in a different light. But in all reality, it is the truth of God, and it is one that causes us to evangelize. Because if it was true that if no one, uh, if they did not hear the gospel and they could still go to heaven, and if there was any other way outside of who Christ is, then if there was any other way to be saved, then we would quit mission efforts. We would quit sending people to China. We would quit sending them to Pakistan. And we would just let them live in an evil lifestyle until they died. And then they could go to heaven forever because they did not know any better. But in all reality, Scripture does not teach that. What Scripture teaches through general and special revelation is that God reveals himself to all men mankind therefore they are broken sinful fallen and they know who God is but they reject God and that to be saved there has to be a form of special revelation in their life so if the issue at hand is that general revelation isn't enough then what is called of us what is our responsibility what are we supposed to do with that First, we're supposed to acknowledge that God's way is not always. We don't know everything that God does. We don't understand why he's the way he is. We understand that he's perfect and holy. Therefore, we follow him. We can't tell God what to do. We can't expect anything of God that we expect from ourselves because God is perfect and holy, and he is the one that is in control of all things. And so, therefore, what he says is what goes. So if we don't like this idea, there's no choice around it, but we acknowledge this is what God says. But our second responsibility and the main responsibility I want to look at is in Romans 10. Turn with me there. Romans 10, 8 through 17. I'm not going to read 18, but 18 actually quotes chapter 9, uh, Psalms 19, verse 3. So I'm going to stop at 17, though. Romans 10, 8 through 17 says this. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one is saved. For Scripture says, Everyone who bears in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. And from the same Lord, the Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Will they call on him if they've never not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone has sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now before I even get to the bottom part of all of that, I don't want us to focus on the word preach as what a preacher does, as if what I am doing in this moment. That is not what the Greek word is. That is not, that this is not the best translation for us. That we need to get away from that mindset. The idea of preaching here and the idea of my preaching in general is the proclamation of God's word. So everyone is called to be a preacher. Everyone is a preacher of God's word. Everyone is called to share the gospel with someone. But we saw it and we see through all of this that true confession and repentance lead to salvation. For this is the work of the heart of the one who believes. What we see is that those who believe in his heart will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you shall be saved. This does not mean that if you say a prayer or if you're baptized, that you're saved automatically. Because there are so many times and so many people that have uttered a prayer instead of said it or been baptized or been dunked or sprinkled or had a cross on their, their forehead or whatever the case may be. They may have said repentance. They may have done all of these things, but it was never a true conversion in their heart. So he's talking about true belief, true confession, true repentance here. That if, if one has truly been saved, and truly repented and confessed of their sins, then that is what leads to salvation. For this is a work of God in a heart. God takes, and he takes a hard heart, and he makes it soft again, that he reveals himself to mankind. Then the belief in Christ leads to justification, that we are justified by our faith and belief in Christ. And as I talked about last week, justification leads to, to uh, adoption in Christ's kingdom. And so we're justified by the blood of Christ. This is how God looks at us now. If we come to him in salvation, that he forgives our sins and he looks at Christ's righteousness. Then everyone who calls on Christ is saved. They, only can, call, they can only call if they believe. And they can only believe if they have heard. This is why special revelation isn't enough and why general revelation is all that we, this what we should focus on this morning, is that general revelation points out who God is, but special revelation points out the need for us proclaiming the word of God. The question he asks is, how can one believe if they've never heard? How? How can we expect those that have never heard in the name of Christ to respond to the gospel if they've never heard it? How are they to hear it if someone doesn't go and preach it to them? Somebody doesn't go and declare God's truth to them. And how are they going to go if they're not sinned and prepared? And the last part of verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. To kind of put it simple this morning in all of this, is that there's a world that is out there that's unreached people group. They're not only in the world around us, but they're in our county, they're in our states, they're in our country. There's people that have never truly heard the gospel. 
And if they never hear the gospel and they die and go to hell, then that means that they will die and they will go to hell forever and forevermore. And then if they hear the gospel and they never respond to it accordingly, then they will die and go to hell as well. And so the issue at hand is that there's people out there that have never heard of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. There's people out there that each and every day they are dying and going to hell, but so often what we are doing is nothing about it. That we're not fulfilling what God has called us to do. We sit back and we read this verse and we think that it's talking about that God is sending preachers and missionaries and youth pastors and worship pastors to go and to proclaim the gospel. But in all reality, what God is calling each and every one of us to do, all of the saints, all of those that have been saved by faith in Christ Jesus, is to go and proclaim the gospel to the world around us. And I don't know what better way and what what more way would motivate us than understanding that if we don't, if we don't tell people about Jesus, if we don't tell them about what God has accomplished in the blood of Christ, if we don't tell them this, then they're dying. They're being held forever away from their Heavenly Father and Creator. If this does not motivate our hearts to proclaim Jesus to the world around us. And I'm not talking about just living it out. I'm talking about opening our mouth and saying, for God so loved the world that in your death and in your sin that he sent his only son so that you can find forgiveness in him. I'm talking about opening your mouth and proclaiming for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God, but in God's love and mercy that he has sent his son as a free gift to mankind so that they can be saved through him. That if we don't open our mouths and utter the truth of the gospel to the people around us, then what the reality is, is they will die and they will go to hell forever and forever and forever and forevermore. If that does not motivate us, I think it would be important to back up, to go back to Romans and ask ourselves verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that doesn't motivate you, then I think the important thing would be to go back and ask myself first and foremost, was my salvation genuine? Did I really come to this saving faith in Christ? Because if I did, wouldn't I want everyone to have it? Maybe that's not the case. Maybe you just need a a redeclaration in your heart, a redetermination in your heart that you were going to do what God has called you to. So I come to a time now to try to end this out. I want to read a quote from a guy named Charles Spurgeon, um, preacher a few centuries back. I love reading his stuff. He says this, for sinners be damned, at least let them leap over into hell over our bodies. If they will perish, then let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let us go there, let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That if, if people are going to go to hell, then let them go by the efforts of each and every one of us trying to prevent them. Let them go in such a way that they have no excuse when they get there because they have heard the proclamation of the gospel by each and every one of us. Sarah comes. Simple this morning. Called to commit to personal evangelism, local evangelism, domestic evangelism, and international evangelism. We're called to share the gospel all around us 
Everywhere we go, everything we do, we're called to, to evangelize locally to Vernon, Alabama. We're called to vocalize to the entire United States and to the entire world. We can't sit out of any of these things. We can't choose to not do one or the other. We can't choose to focus on one or the other. We're called to do all four of these things. This morning, funny thing about this letter is that this guy dropped this letter so that we would pray for him. But in the midst of his prayer, he said that, I pray for you, pray for your church. That you would glorify God in the way you work, live, and play by making disciples. This morning, if people were going to die and go to hell, let's let it not be because they've never heard. Let's be that they've heard the gospel. There's no truth.